In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. Been a great third down defense the last two weeks for Steelers. And they've got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath. Now in. Closing out your weekend is Friday edition. The TC Martin Show coming your way live here on, on KSHP and as well as TCMartinShow.com. I'm Chris Wynn in for TC Martin. The doctor is already down there. He is in Houston, Texas, folks, getting set to see his buddy Dusty Baker. And the Houston Astros take on the Boston Red Sox. Game one of the American League Championship Series goes down tonight. TC will join us at the top of the 3 o'clock hour to give us a little preview and uh, also give us the lowdown on some of the eateries, the spot. It's TC Martin. So we got to find out what he's going to do as far as the spots. He's going to bounce around down there and grab some grub as well. Of course, heading into the weekend, so much going on. Across the board, we've got Major League Baseball playoffs. We have NFL Week 6, which kicked off last night as Tampa Bay took on Philadelphia in a game that uh, a lot of betters here in town, if you're on a certain side, were not too happy about the outcome. We'll talk a little bit about that game also. Uh, loaded show today. We've got great guests on the way. Host of Out of Line over on Fox Sports Radio, Brian Feldman, is going to join us at the bottom of the hour We'll talk some VGK. We'll talk some Raiders as they get set to play the Denver Broncos coming up this weekend. Uh, of course, all of the just chaos that went down as far as the Raiders are concerned here earlier on this week. And we'll talk about the whole fallout with John Gruden as well as preview that game with Brian from out of line. Of course, TC will be at the top of the hour, you know, the 3 o'clock hour. We'll talk about Major League Baseball playoffs as well as, of course, that game there with the Astros and Red Sox. And then Chris Matthews is going to join us at the bottom of the next hour. Chris Matthews, great sports director from the CBS affiliate here in Las Vegas. He's been a fixture for years, covers everything across the board sports-wise, whether it's UNLV, whether it's VGK, the Raiders, and the Aces. I mean, just everything. This guy is wired in. So looking forward to doing that as well, too. So, of course, VGK in action in Game 2 of the season last night in Los Angeles. It wasn't a good outcome as they got down early. And they even end up pulling Leonard in this game. And they end up uh, getting bookend goals. They scored the first goal of the game and then the last goal of the game. But it was a 6-2 loss that VGK took against the LA Kings. Now kind of a strange situation, obviously, with a six-day layoff until their next game. So not, not, a, not a great outing to have to stew on over a, a long period of time, right, before you get game three in the books in the 2021-22 NHL season. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well, too, I mentioned with our guests. And uh, also get your thoughts, too, uh, here on the T.C. Martin Show. But I want to start the show off by talking a little bit about the NBA. Obviously, we're in the midst of the preseason. The NBA regular season is is going right around the corner, basically. But the big story this week, of course, has been the situation regarding players and vaccinations, right? Now, look, we understand. In the NBA, it's in the high 90 percentiles of players who are vaccinated. 
right? So it, it's all good. They're squared away because most of the parts of the country, it's there are mandates in place or there are regulations in place where you need to be vaccinated if you're an NBA player to be able to play in, in, in the arenas. That's the case in a lot of the major markets. That's the case on one coast as well as the other coast. I'm talking about Los Angeles, San Francisco, and, of course, New York City. And, of course, the, a lot of the talk this week has been about a certain player and a certain player that happens to play for the Brooklyn Nets, or at least he has been playing for the Brooklyn Nets. We don't know if he's going to actually be on the team. And, that's, of course, I'm talking about Kyrie Irving. And, uh, obviously, the news that came out in, in the last, basically, in the last seven to ten days regarding what he's going to do as, from a vaccination standpoint, he's steadfast. He's not going to get the vaccine. That's, that's his opinion. He, he feels that, look, uh, he's been talking about how it's about being true to what feels good for me. And for, for what that's worth, you know, I mean, hey, I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity, to say the least, when Kyrie Irving talks about this issue and what it is that he wants to do. And it, it kind of it's all over the place when I, when I think about this. And look, this isn't going to be a segment where I'm just going to, you know, continually blast Kyrie Irving. But I'm going to have some issues with, you know, some of the statements he's made. Because Kyrie Irving, you know, said Wednesday night, he still hopes to return and play for the Brooklyn Nets. But, quote-unquote, this is about my life and what I am choosing to do when explaining his decision not to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Irving was speaking on Instagram Live, and he said he's neither pro-vaccine nor anti-vaccine, but, and that he fully understands the ramifications of his, of his decision. Now, call me crazy, and a lot of listeners out there and, and us here in the studio, if you don't get the vaccine, isn't that by default you're essentially anti-vaccine? I, I mean, I could be nuts, right? I mean, that's that's my initial reaction. That's my. Are you crazy? You, you don't want to make it too complicated, right? You don't want to overthink it. I think it, it would it would make sense to me that that is the road that he's going down. Now he talks about the financial consequences. Now look, let's be honest. When it comes to the money stuff, it doesn't affect anybody else. It doesn't affect his teammates. It doesn't affect the Brooklyn Nets. It doesn't affect the fans. It doesn't affect NBA fans of the NBA that want to see Kyrie on the court. That's just Kyrie's personal situation financially. He's going to lose a lot of money, okay? If, if the scenario played out, which is not going to because the Brooklyn Nets have made it clear, he's not going to play at all, not even on the road for the Brooklyn Nets until he's vaccinated or, uh, excuse me, gets the first shot, I believe. Then he'll have the possibility to do that. But until that happens, and Kyrie's giving no indication that that's going to be the case, he's not going to play for Brooklyn. So... Obviously, the natural reaction, you know, for me and for everybody out there is, okay, well, what happens here? What are they going to do? You can't keep them on the team, right? You have to trade them or you have to move. You have to, in some way, you got to move them out. Got to move them to a city that or a state that has much more lenient restrictions when it comes to COVID-19. There are places like that. There are obviously, you know, the three basketball teams in Texas. There are the two basketball teams in Florida that he could go to, where he would have the possibility, you know, he'd have the ability to play most of the games because he still wouldn't be able to play in places like the Bay Area. He wouldn't be able to play, obviously, when he went back to New York against the New York teams, whether it's the Knicks in Madison Square Garden or whether it's the Nets at the Barclays Center. But for the most part, he'd be able to. 
Obviously, we're looking on down the road to exactly, we don't know what's going to happen yet with that. But getting back to Kyrie and his whole viewpoint on this, says, look, I'm going to continue to stay in shape, be ready to play, be ready to rock out with my teammates, and just be part of this whole thing. And then he says, this is not a political thing. This is not about the NBA, not about any organization. This is about my life and what I'm choosing to do. Now, here I'm going to be a little bit critical of Kyrie because, look, I don't see any indication, and he hasn't come forth whatsoever with any evidence that he's done any research, that he's, you know, uh, are there NBA players like Kyrie and and anybody else, whether it was Andrew Wiggins before he got back? Remember Andrew Wiggins about, you know, two, three weeks ago was, he was another guy who was like, I'm not getting the vaccine, I'm not going to do it, and then ends up getting it. But, but is there any indication that players, NBA players, any players of any sports are going out and doing like intense research, are getting the beakers out and going, you know, into the, and, and uh, you know, mixing stuff up and, and doing their science, doing their science background stuff. I don't, I don't see it. And you don't, you don't see, any, I haven't seen any athlete, not one, come out with like credible evidence to the contrary of getting the vaccine. And, this whole notion of you know, the vaccine could be detrimental and all that. I mean, I, I just haven't seen any evidence of that. So to not get into political stuff, because I want, and, and about that too, this is about sports. This is about society, American society as a whole. This shouldn't even be a political issue. You know, it shouldn't even be about politics. It's a public health thing. You know what I mean? The COVID-19 is, is, is a pandemic. We're trying to get out of it. And we should be taking steps to speed that up or make that happen, right? I am a sports guy. I want want more than anybody to be able to go out, you know, and have stadiums packed to the hilt and be able to have the media and the fans get up close and personal with the players, you know, and and their teams and be right there. I'm, I'm as down with that as anybody can be. And so to speed, to make that happen quicker, you know, it's, the va- vaccination is something that, and look, it's already happened. We're in the high 90 percentiles when it comes to players in almost every league, right? Maybe the NHL has maybe a little less than that, but as far as the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, I mean, a, a, a lot of these teams, it is a super-duper high percentage of athletes that are vaccinated. Okay, so it obviously begs the question, especially in the NBA, but just run the numbers, okay? Just look at it like this. Okay, if there's 14 guys on your team and the Brooklyn Nets that are vaccinated, and then there's a the one guy that's not, it's fair to ask the question, right? Okay, why aren't you vaccinated, man? You know? And look, we're not talking about some guy who's riding the pine. We're not talking about some guy who's shuttling back and forth between the G League and the NBA. We're talking about Kyrie Irving, Okay. And that's why Stephen A. Smith from ESPN and a lot of other commentators, by the way, have kind of gone on rants the last few days regarding him and, and talking about his commitment as a teammate. Because this is about winning a championship, right? The Nets want to win the whole thing. So if you're, if you're Brooklyn, obviously you're extremely upset with the situation right now because there's a big void at your point guard position. You don't have one of the best guys, arguably – a top three point guard in the NBA in the mix for your team right now, as of right now. And you're probably not going to. I mean, I don't see anything that, I I mean, is there any indication basically that Kyrie's going to 
just all of a sudden, you know, flip the switch and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm going to get the jab. No. So I, so the criticism when I talk about Stephen A. and the other and a lot of commentators, it's, it's all about, you know, hey, you're screwing your teammates. You're screwing the organization. You're screwing the fans because you're not giving them the best chance to win a championship. And they absolutely, with Kyrie Irving, are, if not the favorite, one of the favorites to win an NBA title. So it's a huge thing, obviously, for the organization. And his decision is extremely impactful. It just isn't about him. It's just not about your own life. And so that's why a lot of people are upset with Kyrie as far as him being not, you know, not taking the steps to do the right thing. So Nets general manager Sean Marks said Tuesday, the decision not to let Irving join the team until he gets at least one vaccination shot was made by him as well as the team owner, Joe Sy. And Marks also said that Irving will lose only money he was due to play in home games, which is not allowed, which he is not allowed to do under the New York City mandate. Now, if uh, Kyrie misses, now here's the money thing. And look, again, this only affects Kyrie, doesn't really affect anybody else, but uh, he could lose over 17 million bucks. All right, we're talking about, you know, every game in Brooklyn this season, including the preseason games, along with the two regular season games against the Knicks over at Madison Square Garden. 17 million bucks. Now, the Nets already said they're not going to re-up him on that. You know, obviously, they're looking at an extension, the four-year, $187 million extension with the Nets. They already said, no, we're not doing it. So, obviously, that gives you an indication about what the Nets think as far as their long-term plans for Kyrie Irving. And, look, I mean, I'm not trying to say that Kyrie Irving is not intelligent. I think he is. I think he's an intelligent guy. I just think he's quirky. You know, I think he's just strange at times. We are, we remember the comments about he, you know, thought, thinking the world was flat. You know, he, he's all he's made some offbeat kind of uh, takes in the past. Let's put it that way, where he's uh, the guy's just a little bit different, you know, or maybe a lot of bit different. Who knows? But when it comes to this, it just to me, it's him just being bullheaded. I think that's what it is. He is just so dedicated to like just just. Thumbing his nose at the establishment or at whatever it is, you know. I and, and I don't and I don't even know if he understands what it is, but he's just he is absolutely you know in a situation where he is dead set against joining the rest of his teammates and getting the vaccination and making a run at a title. So it's going to be we'll see how exactly what happens here. Again, I, I I just don't know how the Nets can keep him in the mix. How they can even how this even shakes out where he ends up still in a Brooklyn uniform moving forward here in the 2021-22 season. I just don't see it. So, you know, Kyrie, you know, he ended his talk on Instagram Live by saying he's not going to end his career like this. No, you're probably not going to end your career. Look, you're, you're I mean, again, you're a great player. So I would expect there's somebody who's going to end up picking him up and taking a shot on him, you know, taking a shot. Well, it's not even taking a shot. The guy's great. So it's just it's just a matter of uh you know what but once the mandates are you know go out of effect or things start to change from a you know from American society standpoint regarding regulations with COVID-19 he's going to be in a tough situation so he talked about being a voice for the voiceless too as well which I don't really understand what he's talking about there I I don't who's voiceless who is the voiceless it's a it's a vaccine you can either get the vaccine or not get it. 
Not everybody in America has to, because of their employment, get the vaccine. There's, there's, you know, there's probably millions, right, in America that don't have the vaccine. There is millions that don't have the vaccine. And, you know, some people, and, and you can get in the weeds about the whole debate as, as far as employment and where you work and all this, which I don't really want to get into, obviously, on this show. But sticking with Kyrie, he, I mean, he talked about nobody is hijacking his voice, you know, and he says, see if they play this on their TV channels and they play this actual truth somewhere before you start talking about me and what I'm doing with my life. And no, I'm not retiring. And no, I'm not going and leaving the game like this. There is still so much work to do. Yeah, there is for you, Kyrie. You got your one championship. You were a big part of it in Cleveland. Okay, we get it. But that's not, you don't want that to be the end of the story. You don't want that to be your legacy is that, you know, you rolled with, with, with LeBron and knocked off Golden State in that, one, you know, in that one series because Draymond Green got kicked out, by the way. Because Draymond Green got the boot in Game 5, which is why the Cavaliers, in my humble opinion, that's why the Cavs won the series, is because Draymond Green got suspended. And that just got the ball rolling for Cleveland. Now, you ha- obviously you have to give the Cavs credit because they won the series. And they, yeah, won, they won, won, won those games in a row, but still. That was... Uh, and it was, it was a big thing for Cleveland. Obviously, the first championship in decades. First ever championship for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that was great. He was a part of that. But there's been... Uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem like yesterday when they won that championship. It's been a few years. So if you're Kyrie Irving, you want to build on your legacy and move forward. Somebody else who's not going to be building on their legacy? John Gruden. Okay. Obviously, a huge story throughout the week. TC's talked about it with a number of guests this week. It's been all over sports radio. Not even just sports radio. It's been all over media, period. You turn on any news channel, you turn on uh, any, you know, any commentary show, they've been talking about John Gruden because it is a flat-out, unprecedented situation that took place here earlier this week with John Gruden resigning, essentially, before he was fired. Okay, we all understand that's probably how the whole situation went down. There's no way the Raiders were going to be able to keep him after the comments that were made that were misogynistic. And then, of course, he had the racial comments as well as the uh, uh, homophobic comments as well, too. I mean, it's just he, he hit the uh, he, he hit he hit every check mark right for for offensiveness across the board. And. There's been a ton of people chiming in on this, and as you could expect, right? And there's a certain amount of faction of people that'll say, you know, that will play the whataboutism game, right? They'll say, well, you know, if you think John Gruden's the only one that does this, then you're crazy. And you're probably right. You're probably right, okay? But it all breaks down to each individual situation, doesn't it? When, when it comes to these types of deals and these types of sagas and these types of stories, it's always about, okay, where is the person at? What's the person do? What is the person's, you know, public? Is he a public figure? Is it not a public figure? All these things come into play. And John Gruden, you know, for what it's worth, is one of the biggest stars in the NFL from a personality standpoint, right? We, when you think about coaches in the NFL, there, there's a handful of them that are personalities, that are bigger stars, so to speak, than the other coaches, right? You get the John Grudens. You know, you, you, know, you get, I mean, there's, 
I mean, Andy Reid, to, to, to some extent, is one of those guys. Obviously, Sean McVay, a younger guy, looked at kind of like a guru. He's kind of emerging into that. Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick's, you know, we're talking about a guy that's arguably the greatest football coach of all time, okay? And he's his own personality, but he's he gets more pub because of his, he, he just, he's not really a personality, right? But John Gruden's a guy who, and I talked about this earlier this week too, you know, there's, there's NFL coaches out there that get national commercials, you know? They don't just get the local Las Vegas car dealership commercials or the, you know, or the, uh, you know, the, the, the tax attorney commercials or anything like that locally. John Gruden's like a national guy, right? And, oh, and by the way, he coaches in fabulous Las Vegas, right? The entertainment capital of the world, which is fast becoming and maybe already is the sports entertainment capital of the world, the sports capital of the world, the way that things are going right now. So John Gruden is as big a public figure when it comes to NFL coaches as you're going to find. And so when something like this comes out, where you have emails that are released or leaked or however, or however they came out that are going to be so detrimental and that are going to give a black eye to the Las Vegas Raiders and the NFL, which are private businesses, everybody out there, right? I mean, they're, they're not, it's not some public entity. It's not, uh, it's not a government. It's, it's, it's a private business. And Mark Davis and the powers that be with the Las Vegas Raiders obviously understand that when the comments were leaked, is something that could be absolutely detrimental to the team and to their fan, to Raider Nation. And so steps had to be taken. And the NFL would have taken steps as well, too, if the, if the Raiders didn't. So this whole thing with John Gruden obviously was astounding just because of also the timeline. Think about it. When this all went down on Monday, okay, and it happened, by the way, what, right in the middle of Monday Night Football. It was like smack dab in the middle, like in the second quarter. All this stuff started coming down. And John Gruden was out of a job, right? Resigned at the time. In a matter of seven days, the Las Vegas Raiders went from an undefeated team I don't know if we want to go nuts and say, well, they had Super Bowl aspirations, but they were thought of as you know one of the better teams in the AFC. Maybe you know maybe you could throw a monkey wrench into things come the postseason time. They're but they're undefeated, right? Seven days before, and then obviously on Monday night they lost to the to the to the I was going to say San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers, right in LA, and so they take their first loss. A lot of circle in the wagons talk after the game. You know, hey, we'll fix things. We'll get it going. Gruden was his affable self after the game. And it was business as usual for John Gruden all through the week. And then Friday hit, of course, and the comments about D. Smith, the uh, attorney, obviously, for the NFL Players Association, comments, uh, racial comments made about him, racially insensitive, I should say, about him came out. John Gruden was taking some heat, okay? And there was, but there was still kind of, there was still kind of a wait and see, right? Like, we were still... We didn't want to totally crucify Gruden, and the Raiders obviously didn't want to because Mark Davis likes John Gruden. Mark Davis, you know, John Gruden's this guy. Signed him to a $100 million contract for 10 years. So that kind of tells you what Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, thinks about Gruden. So you go from that, 
And as I said, they were undefeated. And then we're, we're in the midst of the seven-day period. Going, we're, we're, now it's Friday. We heard the comments about D. Smith, but the jury was still kind of out, right? We're still going to figure out exactly what, uh, you know, what his situation was going to be. Was he going to get suspended maybe or reprimanded by the Raiders but not fired? No, nobody was thinking on Friday or Saturday, oh, yeah, Gruden's out. No way, no way he can, he can, he can uh, weather the storm. Then Sunday comes, they get beat by the Bears. And all the discussion, of course, as well, you know, how much was it a factor in the locker room with the team as far as all the fallout regarding the comments and, and, uh, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, all the stuff that was going on, right? It, how did it affect the team on the field? And it was still a big question mark. But hey, they were three and two. Still, you know, it, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We're going to be, we're still going to be, you know, a team that, Everybody has to deal with when it comes to the Raiders in the AFC. Then Monday comes around and use whatever analogy you want to use. The floodgates open, you know, it can of worms came popping out, whatever you want to say. The bottom line is more comments came out in droves regarding John Gruden over a period of seven years, and that sealed his fate when it came to the Raiders and when it came to the NFL. And of course, it hit the story in droves across the country. And sports radio went nuts. Sports television went nuts. And John Gruden's legacy is forever forever tampered. I mean, let's be straight up about it. It's not He's not going to be the same. Could he coach again? I think he could coach again, maybe in college. But there's going to be, have to be some rehab of his image. He's going to have to probably take at least a couple years off to, to get things squared away. And show real remorse and repentance for what was what was said and his whole approach and and give people indications that he has changed in some way. Now can a, can a man that's in his, you know, mid mid to late 50s change? I don't know. Maybe he can. But I don't think he ever coaches in the NFL again because I just don't the the, the entity especially with, with Roger Goodell in the mix, right? When with Roger Goodell handling things He's not going to be too – yeah, there's no way Gruden's going to be in the NFL. So can he coach maybe in college? There's been talk about, what, USC? I don't think Notre Dame would touch him because he's, he's a huge Notre Dame guy. He, he grew up a monster Notre Dame fan. I don't think the fire dang hours should touch him. But could it be like a Bobby Knight thing where, you know, Bobby Knight went to, what, Texas Tech after the whole Indiana thing where he was – what he was, he was almost choking out players or something or something went down with some players. And Bobby Knight's legacy took a little bit of a – of a hit, he's he's been able to recover, but he ended up going and coaching at Texas Tech. Could Gruden do something like that? I think so. So it's, but again, it just the abruptness, right? How it's all happened so quickly. The Raiders from being such a positive in a positive space, and then all of a sudden it comes crumbling down. And now it's just a matter of, you know, can can they do? Can they recover? And can they? continue to be competitive when it comes to the AFC. Coming up uh, after the break, we're going to be joined by Brian Feldman from Out of Line here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. We're going to talk a little bit about, about the Raiders, kind of preview the Bronco game coming up this weekend, as well as we'll talk about a little bit about VGK as the Knights go down hard last night in Los Angeles to the Kings. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way here live on a Friday. I'm Chris Wynn in for the Dr. T.C. Martin. Brian Feldman on the way next. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. 
Numbchuck and Gilby coming strong here with a little Detroit action, baby. The 313 tunage. Bob Seeger. The guy's classic. We're rolling along on a Friday. It's the TC Martin Show coming your way. I'm Chris Wynn in for the Dr. TC Martin. He'll be joining us top of the hour. He is live in Houston getting set for game one of the American League Championship Series as the Red Sox are in town to take out the Houston Astros. But joining me now, one of my favorites in town, tremendous host, a big-time personality, does a great job with Out of Line over on Fox Sports Radio every Sunday morning, 8 to 9. Also does a show right here on KSHP. Uh, Rent it, buy it, refi it, folks. Coming up later on today, Brian Feldman joining us here live on the T.C. Martin Show. Brian, we appreciate the time. How you doing, my friend? What's up, C. Wynn? Just uh, living the dream in Las Vegas. As we all are, my friend. We all, it, it, it seems like every weekend, right, there's something going down on the sports landscape, right? I mean, it just, it just continues, to, continues to just roll along. And uh, whether it's, you know, you know, football this weekend is back after the bye week. Obviously, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights are off for, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a distance here. But you've got to, the Raiders taking out the Denver Broncos up there. All kinds of stuff going on, right? Oh, it's crazy, Chris. It, you know, it's, what's wild, too, is if you think about it, Allegiant Stadium, you know, they, uh, they've got Saturday the, the UNLV game, and then they've got uh, the Raiders game, but that's actually on the road. They're playing at, at Denver. But there is, I think there is one time this year, and I think it's next week, Thursday the UNLV plays, and then Sunday the Raiders play. And, you know, the, the, you wouldn't think it would be that big of a deal, maybe just repainting the field, but they literally have to move one field out and move an entire another one in because the Raiders play on natural turf indoors. I think the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular, you know, the whole setup there as far as how they have that, uh, you know, with, with, the, with the fields outside all during the week, and then you just kind of roll them in the stadium during there. It's pretty spectacular how that, that all goes down. But speaking of the Raiders, Brian, obviously, you know, unprecedented news came down earlier this week when you have a head coach in John Gruden resigning, essentially before he was getting fired, you know, in, in a, with the franchise has been here for just under two years, and there's been just so much positivity, right, Brian, across the board when it comes to the Raiders. They start the season out 3-0, and obviously taking it on the chin the last couple of weeks, and now they're still 3-2, and but, I mean, it was just un, it was just crazy as far as just, you know, how quickly the fall came regarding John Gruden and, uh, and, and, with, and you know, obviously as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Chris, there's so much to talk about in that subject. I mean, there is just no question. If you really sit back and peel back the layers of the onion, the NFL without question headed out for John Gruden. And I'm not saying John Gruden doesn't deserve to be gone. He absolutely does. This was something that took place over several years and several emails. But, you know, it's amazing that you've got all these little civil lawsuits going on with the Washington football team that no one really talks about. You know how civil cases, they take forever. But no one's talking about all these little civil cases, Dan. Daniel Snyder's involved in, and all of a sudden, the one thing they get out of this gigantic investigation is John Gruden's emails. And how many things do you think get swept under the rug that we don't even hear about, and yet all of a sudden, this thing explodes with Gruden? But that's Gruden's volatile relationship with Roger Goodell and the NFL. And uh, I, I just believe when I really look at everything and try to summarize it all, it looks like they just wanted him out, and they finally found a way to get him out. And they didn't just, just didn't just get him out. He's going to be out of broad broadcasting out of everything. I mean, John Gruden, unless he wants to do type, some type of public speaking for money, we won't see this guy work again. But, you know, he's 
$40 million richer, so maybe he doesn't have to. If you think about this whole situation, right, Brian, the whole saga, do you think this is just the tip of the iceberg? Because it is clear that there could absolutely be you know, thousands of more emails that can come out. There could be other people, other, other quote-unquote casualties of this situation, and it's not just people from the former you know, Redskins, now Washington football team organization. There could, you know, this, this obviously started out as or, you know, uh, an investigation into Washington, and the first obviously big shoe to drop was John Gruden. There could be other people, right, Brian, that could come into the mix here. Yeah, I would imagine, Chris. I mean, if they've delved that deep and they have found all this dirt on John Gruden, there's got to be other people that you would think uh, have done stuff like this. I mean, it's scary to think, you know, people just not thinking, especially anybody over the age of 40, you know, not really worrying about the repercussions of social media, emails, and everything else. And, and we're finding out that, hey, these things, once you put something down, it's there forever. But could there be others? I'll be shocked if there's not. But I am shocked at how much just I mean this is just one two three punches into John Gruden like I've never seen before and uh I mean you know I don't know if this guy's going to move out of the country and hide but it's pretty bad and again we're not even privy to everything yet so I think once we see actually everything that was written I'll bet we're going to be even more shocked than we are right now Brian Feldman joining us here live on the TC Martin show host of Out of Line over at Fox Sports Radio here in Las Vegas, talking about the Raiders. Now, moving forward, Brian, uh, the Raiders have a game to play this weekend, right? Taking out a division rival in the Denver Broncos. Your thoughts on uh, how this is all going down? Obviously, uh, Basaccia takes over as the head coach. He was a special teams coordinator. And uh, the team looks like they're circling the wagons. They're rallying around him and the rest of the coaching staff that's still there in place, right? When you talk about Gus Bradley and the rest of the coaching staff, they're all still there. What are your expectations as you see as the Raiders go up there and uh, are going to be playing in a hostile environment against their real tough foe in the AFC West? Yeah, you know, well, two teams, Chris, that I think if you would have said after five games, both the Broncos and the Raiders would be three and two. Um, I would have been pretty surprised at that. I think most people would have been, especially looking at the schedules and the Raiders' schedule to start off beating Baltimore, then beating Pittsburgh on the road, two real shocking games. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the coaching staff, of course, Chris, what are they going to say? Let's be realistic. Of course, we're rallying around our special teams now, interim head coach. We're going to rally around everything that Mike Mayock says and does. And I just don't know. I think that, that this is going to be something. This is, this is a type of a cancer. And whether it's a small, benign tumor that they can get rid of in a week or two, we'll see. But this could be something that literally is malignancy for the entire year, Chris. Uh, this is a really big deal. And John Gruden has structured this team. He's got his favorites in place. And, you know, I just don't know. I don't know that this team can, can you can rally for around something like this because it's not like a tragedy, like rallying around somebody that was done wrong. It's rallying around somebody that did wrong and what was done was right to be done. And, and that's, a, that's a different type of rallying tool. So, you know, no one I think is calling the Raiders, you know, in, as a team bad, but their head coach was. So, you know, how do you rally around it? You can't even really talk about the guy. What can you say about John Gruden if you're a Raiders player? Nothing. You want it, you want it, you're hoping you don't get asked a lot of questions. Um, so I just don't know. I don't know how this can be a positive any way you view it. And I think Denver's in need of another win. They've, they've, uh, they've spun out a little bit as of late as well. So I think it's going to be a tough road to haul for the Raiders to, uh, on Sunday and the rest of the season. I really do. I'm going to be very intrigued to see what this Raiders offense does against that. Denver's got a solid defense, right? And they're playing at home. We, we need to see Derek Carr. I, I mean, look, 
He doesn't have to be a guy every game that goes out there and throws for 400 yards and three touchdowns. They're going to need the passing game in this football game, though, right? I mean, obviously, Josh Jacobs, he's, he continues to be more implement, more of a factor in the offense. That's, that's great, right? And Kenyon Drake, someone that can spell him. But you want to be able to see Darren Waller go out there and have a big-time game. You want to be able to see Henry Ruggs really do, to emerge as be, be that number one guy. Right, be the guy that you were. I mean, you were drafted to be the main guy when it came to that wide receiving core. Obviously, we know what Renfro can do and some of these other pieces, but it's got to be it, the passing game is going to have to be able to at least do something, right, Brian? If the, if the Raiders are going to be successful against the Broncos, oh, Chris, no doubt about it. And I think one of the things we can't overlook is that offensive line has got to play better than they did than they did last week. I mean, it was it was terrible. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Derek Carr was under siege a lot of the game. Um, and, and, and he's going to face the same thing, as you mentioned. Denver's defense is really looking good. And I don't think anyone expected Vaughn Miller to come back and be the same player he was when he, when he went out about a year and a half ago hurt. He is really this year looking healthy and looking tremendous. And Denver's defense is why that team is rolling. And, of course, Teddy Ball game, Teddy Bridgewater playing decent football there. Um, but but I just don't know yet. Their offense is going to be have to be clicking, Chris. I I like some of the things that I've seen. Obviously, some good surprises. Henry Ruggs, I mean, averaging over twenty yards a catch, that is going to change. Don't get your hopes up that that will be the same. He's not Tyreek Hill, but he is a good player, and he's obviously like one of the fastest players in the National Football League. So that's huge. And um, you know, and other players that, that have really emerged that I think we'll see play well too. Darren Waller is going to have to continue to play great, as you mentioned, Hunter Renfro. One of the better mid-round draft picks that John Gruden had in his career. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Chris. Is you know, if you look back since 2018 and the players that have been drafted underneath John Gruden's tenure, it's kind of disappointing. And I might be 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 on the light side when I say kind of disappointing. Most of these guys have not panned out, especially his top draft picks. Other than maybe the jury's still out on Ruggs and Leatherwood, but but. I'm telling you, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. I think he left this team in kind of disarray. Well, I'll do you one better. And look, let's lay our cards on the table here, okay? And and look, John Gruden, there's a lot of room for criticism with John Gruden since he's come back into the NFL as a coach, right? The guy hasn't. It's not like he's gone out and 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 brought the Raiders any kind of success in the postseason, right? They haven't. They haven't been. A, so I mean, I, I mean, and look, I, I don't want to go into a, on a tangent of just destroying John Gruden, but it's not as if. You know, he's been some kind of savior, and you could absolutely make the case, right, Brian, that he has, that he didn't even come close to living up to the, you know, 10 year, $100 million deal for the three and a half years that he was here, you know, that he got paid that, that amount of deal. You could absolutely make the case that it was not justified to lay out that kind of cash for John Gruden. Oh my God, or put him in charge of football operations the way he was just, you know, really had a say in everything. I mean, you know, yeah, he had a good show talking to quarterbacks on ESPN. And I'll tell you what, he was a very entertaining broadcaster and he did win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But wasn't that kind of Tony Dungy's team that he took over? And, you know, you look what he did with the Raiders. Yeah, the first time around they were successful. They haven't been this time around. And, again, the moves he made when he first came in, look what Khalil Mack just did to the Raiders last week with the Bears. I mean, Khalil Mack may have not performed at the peak that the Bears have expected it to since he's been there, but still he's better than anything the Raiders have. And, yeah, I love Max Crosby and some of the other guys on the Raiders' defense, and I think they've gotten – that's by far the most improved Raiders' defense 
defensive team I've seen in years that were, that's going on right now. But still, add Khalil Mack to that mix, how much better would they be? And look what they've gotten in return in those draft picks for Khalil Mack. Nothing even close. He's the host of Out of Line over in Fox Sports Radio. Brian Feldman joining us here on the T.C. Martin Show. Also a fellow Michiganding, Michigander as well as I am uh, from uh, the great city of Detroit. Brian Feldman. Uh, switch gears here. Let's talk some, uh, some VGK. Obviously, Game 2 went down of the regular season last night in Los Angeles. Was not a great result, Mr. Feldman, as they were able to get bookend goals, right, as... Shea Theodore led the scoring off and got him out to a one nothing lead. Then they get the goal, you know, they get the second goal. You know, the last goal of the game, obviously, was Stevenson. But, uh, you know, first time that we've seen adversity, right, when it comes to Robin Leonard between the pipes for VGK as the Knights go down 6-2 to two to Los Angeles. As you saw Kopitar with a big-time game, uh, you know, third, King's third hat trick. In an opener, they had two assists in the game. Drew Doughty. I mean, you're talking about names from guys that were with them for their championship runs. And Kopitar, what, set a franchise record five points in that game in the opener. Last time L.A. had a hat trick, we'll, we'll know these names, Brian. Yari Curry, back in 1991, had a hat, last time Los Angeles had a hat trick in his first game. Luke Robitaille also had the first back in 1988. Feldman, we love those names, don't we? They're going back, going back. Well, a I bit. love the names. I love the names. I am amazed. It's been since 1991 when the former Oiler that kind of went over to the to the Kings with uh, Wayne Gretzky um, scored the last hat trick. It's amazing. It's been what 30 years since the Kings have had a hat trick. Kopitar, a fitting guy to do it. Yeah, five points because he was unreal last night, all over the place. Seven shots on goal, and as you mentioned, Dowdy too. It looked like he had a couple more goals, but they were deflected in. And uh, you know, he had a goal, three assists, four points himself. One behind uh, Kopitar. But that's not the issue. The issue is the Vegas Golden Knights, as you mentioned. I didn't think Robin Leonard played terrible. I think he made some really good saves along the way. You know, he stopped uh, 27 shots out of 31. And then, of course, they brought in uh, Brassois, who who didn't play badly. I mean, he stopped, uh, he let in two goals. But I don't think it was the goaltending, Chris. It was just the overall play. It's like after Shea Theodore scored that the first goal, the Golden Knights seemed to be a different team. And, of course, uh, you know, getting a goal with like 42 seconds to go when Kopitar got his first in the first period, that put him up 2-1. Two to, two to one. The Kings up 2-1. to one. I don't think they ever looked back. And um, it was kind of discouraging. It just seemed at times that the Vegas Golden Knights were skating in wet cement to pardon an old cliche. They just didn't look like themselves. And, of course, Mark Stone going down in the second period. We still don't know what's the matter with him. You know, you did hear Pete DeBoer say after the game that he had an injury it wasn't significant enough to keep him out of the game but then he was untouched he just put weight on that right leg and it kind of locked on him when a right leg locks or a leg locks that's usually dealing with floating cartilage or something and who knows he had to be helped off the ice they do have a break until next Wednesday but that's a big time concern Mark Stone even though people remember how bad he played in the Montreal series last year he is still just a huge part of this team and uh that's that's a guy you just can't replace. Yeah, so Stone was hunched over in pain, you know, near the boards after he took that shot near the near the King's goal, and then he they, he, could, he couldn't even get back to the bench. Really, I mean, it was it was he was struggling just to get back there. And then you mentioned, of course, Pete DeBoer talked about it. Apparently, it's a lower body injury to Stone, so we'll see how that all shakes out. But Robin Leonard talked about this also. He said, "Look, we're not going to put this on the defense. I put it on the whole team." But he, Robin Leonard said it was the worst game he's seen since they got there. 
I mean that. I mean that's that's pretty telling, right, Brian? When your goaltender is, you know, look, Leonard's been there for a while. You say, you know, for the second game of the season, this should be a red flag for us. And you, as you talked about, now you got this extent. It, it's kind of weird, right? You know, you play two games, right, Brian? And now all of a sudden, you got five days where you can, and and so not 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 exactly a great way to go into a five day. It's not even a hiatus; it's just a five day break, basically. Well, I think the only good thing is, yeah, if there's any way they can patch Stone up and it's it's a minor injury, although it just didn't look like one to us. And, of course, Pete DeBoer, isn't that funny, Chris? They always say in the National League, they never pinpoint injuries. It's always a lower body or an upper body injury. We all saw that it was the guy's leg and probably his knee. I mean, a, a layman can see that, so it's pretty funny, but that's what they always do in hockey. They're never going to disclose exactly what it is because they're not forced to. But, um, but no question about it. Rob Robin Leonard is like, you know, goalie is like a catcher in baseball. They're the only one that see the entire ice in front of them. The only time they can't see something is when it's directly behind them. But they see the ice, and they, they're able to see their team perform. And for Leonard to say that, especially it's going to piss off his teammates, you would think, or motivate him, one of the two. But I agreed with him. Chris, I don't remember seeing them play this bad. You know, people say that a preseason isn't indicative of what you're going to see in the regular season, and you shouldn't count it. But I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights played 60 full minutes in any one of their preseason games. They ended up under 500 the preseason, and that's kind of a carryover. They, they got out to a three-goal lead against the Kraken, as we know, and I'm not going to say the Kraken's not your typical expansion team either. They might not be as talented as the Knights were when they were first put together, but this is a veteran-laden team that will cause teams fits all season long, and then the Kraken came right back on them and scored the next three goals. That was very disconcerting, and, and it's something that he should be worried about. And right now, granted, we're only two games in and a preseason into this season. I'm concerned for this team, Chris. This may be a decline. And I don't want to start being a naysayer after just two games, but for right now, what I'm seeing, and they put an all-rookie, basically, fourth line in yesterday mm-hmm. that underperformed tremendously. Peyton Krebs, who everyone's talking about, is going to be this great hockey player. I saw some flashes of that in the preseason, but he's going to have to step up as well as this entire team. But I am really concerned right now now, only two games in, that we may be seeing a decline in the Vegas Golden Knights. And you know, everyone will blame it on the departure of Marc-Andre Fleury and Ryan Reeves. <laughs> oh, we could, we could talk for like three hours, right, Brian, regarding uh, you know the Marc-Andre Fleury leaving and what the impact really means and all this. Yeah, I, mean, it does, uh, I, I heard you on another show this week, and uh, you had an outstanding take regarding that whole situation. But we'll find out, right? As you mentioned, on Wednesday, the St. Louis Blues come to town. It's a three-game homestand for the Golden Knights, uh, also the Island are one of the teams in the mix there, too. So, Brian Feldman joining and us here live. David, you get to see the Oilers. Yeah, we get to see the Edmonton Oilers as well, too. So, three games that uh, will absolutely be a test for VGK. Brian Feldman joining us here from out a lot on the TC Martin Show. i going to get you out of here, but I want to get uh, a quick take as UNLV gets back on the field, obviously a bye week last week. This is a team still looking at Marcus Arroyo tenure of getting their first victory, taking out Utah State this weekend at Allegiant Stadium. Any chances, Brian, that uh, we see a turnaround or we see an opportunity for UNLV to pick up their first victory this season coming up tomorrow afternoon? 
It's going to be a tough game. I mean, the Aggies are no slouch, Chris. They're 3-2 and two on the season. It's not like they beat anybody great, but uh, it's going to be a tall order for UNLV. You know, they will have the, if you want to call them, the friendly confines of Legion Stadium. Um, and UNLV has been competitive this year, much more so than they were last year, although it's still not saying a great deal. They are 0-5. I don't know that this is the week they pick up their first win. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty tough go-around against Utah State, Chris. And, you know, it's going to be a lot is going to be pending on the defense of UNLV. Can they step up? They definitely have played better than they did last year still, but not good enough. And the quarterback situation, the biggest question mark of all. I mean, I think when healthy Brumfield is the best option they have right now. Tate Martell, I've heard one excuse after another why he's not playing and why he's not performing the offseason thumb injury. But, I mean, come on. The guy that was a blue chip high school player, one of the number one, one of the top recruits in the country, gets a full ride to Ohio State. It doesn't work out there. He ends up going to Miami, and now he's back here at UNLV. Where you think in the Mountain West, if you're good enough to get a full ride to Ohio State, Miami, you should be a top notch quarterback in the Mountain West. And yet we we haven't seen anything from Tate Martell, and I don't know that we will. Although he does have one more year of eligibility. But Chris, to answer your question, that long soliloquy, I don't think this is the week that UNLV gets their first win. He's the host of Auto Line over on Fox Sports Radio here in Las Vegas, 8 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. You can catch him also. He streams it live over on his Facebook page. You can also follow him on Twitter at Auto Line Fox LV. He's also hosting a show, Rent It, Buy It, Refi It, tonight right here, KSHP at 6 o'clock. Right, Brian? The show's coming out tonight. So uh, the man is he, he's, he's a man of many things. He can talk sports. He can do real estate. He does it all, and uh, we look forward. We we appreciate you, Brian, spending some time on a Friday with us. Hey, Chris, I appreciate you having me on, and I look forward to seeing you Saturday at Allegiant Stadium at the UNLV game. Yes, sir. Have a great weekend, all right, Brian? Take care. You too, my friend. Bye-bye. Brian Feldman here. Good stuff. T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. The first hour in the books, but uh, we got so much more to come. T.C. Martin is going to join us live. He's down in Houston, the Lone Star State. Getting set for Game 1 of the American League Championship Series. Astros hosting the Red Sox. Astros are still alive. It's making a lot of people mad that are Major League Baseball fans. They're still upset over the cheaters, right? They're still mad. TC's not that mad, though. His guy, his guy down there, he's managing. He's killing it. Dusty Baker, he's doing his thing. And TC's happy about it. He'll join us here. Coming up, also, we have Chris Matthews from Channel 8. He's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk. We'll get his take on the Raiders and the situation going on over in Henderson at the facility, along with what VGK is going down and, of course, UNLV as well, too. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Coming your way on a Friday. Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin. We'll be back right after this.